0: God, we thank you for this appointment with you. As we worship you and read from your word, I ask that you would provide us whatever we need to hear from you today. God, in these moments of worship, would you encourage us and challenge us? We love you and we trust you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Friends, please have a seat. If we haven't met, my name is Adam, and it really is one of the favorite parts of my life to be one of the pastors at our church. So if you're online with us, I want to greet you as well. As a part of worship, we make space to be generous to God, to respond to the gifts God has given us uh, with being generous and giving part of those gifts back to God. We've tried to make it easy to give at our church. We've got offering plates by either door if you want to place your gift there. You can go to our website, carney.church, and there's a button that says give at the top. And... Uh, Throughout these three weeks, uh, these next three weeks, that's the subject we're going to be talking about in this series called Be Rich. The subject of generosity can be an awkward one, and not just at church. Has anyone else ever experienced the awkwardness of the flip and tip? You know what I'm talking about? They got the iPad at the register and do this thing, and your trial begins, doesn't it? The barista or the server or the checkout person flips that sucker around and then what, what are you gonna do? Some version of this kind of awkwardness around tipping happens to me weekly. My family has a tradition where we get Minsky's most Friday nights uh, for family movie night. And when you order online and place a, a curbside order, there's a place where you can tip at the end of your order. So I do that. But then when the person brings it out, they have you sign the receipt and there's another place where you can tip. So I typically just X that out because I have preemptively tipped. And yet I have lost sleep wondering whether the Minsky's people think I'm like the world's biggest cheapskate. You know, I don't wear this jacket when I go there. I don't want them to know I work here. Because I just don't know. I don't know how all that works out, right? I wonder if that's happened to anybody else. Situations around money uh, can be very awkward. Talking about money is awkward. If this is your first Sunday here, you may be in your mind confirming the stereotype that all churches do is talk about money. Well, today that is going to be true, but I'm glad that you're here because generosity is an important subject. We don't do this just for, as an institutional necessity. We do this because a journey of generosity is part of every disciple's life. What are two of the most impolite subjects to talk about? Religion and money. Well, who's up for doing some of both? Oh, yeah. Don't make me beg. Don't make me beg. Here here we go. Well, friends, the Bible speaks of money often. The word money appears 109 times in the Old Testament and 88 times in the New Testament. The word rich occurs 130 times in the Old Testament and 60 times in the New Testament. Jesus speaks in terms of frequency. Jesus talks more often about money Than heaven and hell. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. Scripture typically treats money as a neutral subject. The danger lies in what we do to acquire money or keep money, or when we make something else like money a priority over and above God. Money is a uniquely difficult subject because we use money to literally and metaphorically assign value and worth. And so what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word today is that what's yours is from God and is for more than just you. One of the places where the Bible talks about the dangers of money and our misguided approach to it is in 1 Timothy. The last two weeks, we've talked about someone named Paul. We hear a lot about Paul in the second half of the Bible called the New Testament because Paul wrote a lot of it. And Paul had this amazing encounter where he was converted To following Jesus, and then spent the rest of his life starting these communities of faith all around the ancient Near East, along the Mediterranean. And Paul is writing to instruct and encourage his protege, whose name is Timothy. So this is a letter to Timothy about how to keep leading these churches that they've helped start. Many of these churches were founded in port cities along the coasts, and those were centers of commerce And and the dynamics economically were interesting because there were some wealthy people that were a part of the churches as well. So Paul, in this letter, is warning Timothy to warn folks at the churches about the following. This is verse 17 of chapter six. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us, with everything for our enjoyment. Command those who are rich. Paul does not typically mince words. Paul is a lot stricter about this. I'm a lot nicer about this stuff than Paul is. Okay, Paul is, is commanding those, he says to Timothy, because the pitfalls of wealth are twofold. Arrogance and misplaced hope. You ever heard of the expression, you're born on third base, but you think you hit a triple? You ever heard that? As if... The place you found yourself, you you consider your own doing, but really it was somebody else. This happens, uh, this dynamic happens a lot with children of people who are very wealthy, and mega investor and and guru Warren Buffett said this about this situation, about what he was going to leave to his children. I believe that a very rich person should leave their kids enough to do anything, but not enough to do nothing. I thought that was pretty good. If we think that whatever we've earned in life has all been on our own, then we're mistaken. Who was it that gave us the intellect or the strength to forge a good work ethic or the skills of our hands or our minds? Is it not God? So whatever we claim is ours isn't just from our hard work, although it does involve that. What's yours is from God. Paul commands Timothy to teach rich people not to become arrogant in their own ability. That's the first mistake, according to 1 Timothy, that we can make, as we think that all this is just on our own. Paul tells us the opposite. He also commands Timothy to teach people not to put their hope in wealth. There's an old song that was written in the 20s by a musician named Jimmy Cox. He talks about When financial times are good, you feel invincible. The song's called Nobody Knows You When You're Down and Out. It's also been covered by the likes of Eric Clapton. He's saying, once I lived the life of a millionaire, spent all my money, I didn't have a care. When I began to fall so low, I didn't have a friend. If I get my hands on a dollar again, I'm going to hang on to it till that old eagle grins. It's well documented that professional athletes, lottery winners, and plenty of other people who get a windfall of money see it leave as quickly as it came. The second mistake we make approaching money is we think that when we possess it, that we're self-sufficient, and that it's going to just last forever. We begin to hope more in temporary wealth than we do in God's eternal wisdom. And so what are we banking our hope on? What we need to bank our hope on is God, the scripture tells us who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So whatever it is we earn, God has provided the means for it. When we remember this, it helps us to not become arrogant, that we, whatever we have doesn't come from us alone. And when we put our hope in God, it prevents us from this mindset of being self-sufficient, as if our money could solve all our problems. One way to live this out One way to combat arrogance and self-sufficiency is generosity, is being generous with our finances. When we give, it's an act of humility as we show our appreciation to God by giving a portion of our gifts back to God. It also keeps us reliant on God so we don't become self-sufficient because we're putting our hope in a God who will continue to provide all that we need and more. And so generosity is our response to a God who richly provides Each week in this series, we're going to be looking at that word, rich, in the scripture, that we serve a God who richly provides. Next week, we're going to be talking about being richly generous as a spiritual practice. And finally, that we serve a God who is rich in love and all that our church has accomplished and can can continue to. This concept of God richly providing runs all throughout the Bible, starting in Genesis when Abraham was blessed in order to be a blessing to others. God provides us with blessings in order that we might bless other folks. And so to counter the arrogance of false wealth and the false hope of wealth, we can choose to be generous and embrace that what's ours is from God, and it's not just for us, it's for more than you. Part of the awkwardness around tipping that we mentioned earlier is that it now seems expected in more and more industries. And at the risk of coming off a bit stingy, I bet I'm not the only person who's thought, Is this really kind of tip-worthy, what we're doing here? Really? Because it seems like I'm tipping for bare expectations. Okay? Now, this is going out on the Internet, so I'm just going to leave it at that. (laughs) Okay, so I'm not the only one who thinks this, right? You're just kind of meeting expectations here. As a pastor, I want you to understand that I understand that my practice of doing this is a bare expectation. I get it. I also want you to know that I would not expect you to do something that I'm not doing myself, that my family and I do not practice personally. So in 2024, Sarah and I, she works in the North Kansas City School District. We are happy to generously respond to God's provision, and we're committing 12% of our income to the ministries of the church. That comes out to $16,890. So if this is awkward for you to talk about, I'm just trying to lead the charge in awkwardness. I put my card right up on the screen so that everybody knows exactly what's going on. This isn't hard for me to talk about because I do it. And so I understand it's also hard, let's call it interesting, to hear about giving to the church from somebody who benefits from it. I get that. And so what I want to lay out is why I believe giving to the local church matters why I do it, and why I'm inviting you to join me. Your generosity supports the church's unique mission and vision. There are no shortages of good causes to give to. And it's, it's easy sometimes. You can round up your bill at McDonald's and give to the Ronald McDonald House. You can buy candy bars when you check out at CVS, uh, and, and those are sent to troops overseas. You can give to no-kill animal shelters. I know lots of people are passionate about lots of different causes. There's no shortage. Endless opportunities of good causes. But to me, the church's mission stands unique over and above all those other options. Our unique mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And our vision at First United Methodist Church is to be a community of unlikely friends following Jesus together. In an age where bitter partisanship marks our politics, we can be a community where our highest allegiance belongs to Jesus. And so here, there's red people and blue people, however you want to call that, are both valued in this community. There's churches where worship wars have, have split the church and people are at each other's throats about whether to have guitars or organs or whatever. Man, in our church, the attendance between our modern and traditional services and it's right down the middle. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that, that, that to me is a feature, not a bug. I, you know how many emails I get about, oh, the music, no, none. Because I, well, you know what I think people like, whether it's modern or traditional? When it's good. Yeah. That's what I think people like. So like, we don't, we're not wasting our time fighting about that stuff because we've got our goals set, our eyes set on bigger things. My favorite ministry opportunities that we have at our church are the ones that are intergenerational. Just last Monday, six days ago at Conrad's here in town, my nine-year-old son was sitting with someone who could have been his grandparent, and they didn't know a ton about football. We were watching Monday night football, which you can tomorrow at seven, by the way. We'll, We'll be there setting up shop. You tell me where else besides the church could four generations sit together around a table? It was awesome. That's what we mean by a community of unlikely friends. Where in a divided society, the thing that unites us is our allegiance to Christ. And so in this three-week series, we're looking at what it means to be rich. How God is richly provided. How we can be richly generous. And how we can partner with God and celebrate that we serve a God who is rich in love. So what I want to lay out for us is five different levels of giving. Now each of us can identify ourselves somewhere on this spectrum. And I also recognize that people are in different places in life, different seasons in life, and that's okay. But this is the Sunday, and the next two weeks are when we have a conversation about a challenge or an opportunity to consider where you're at and what it would look like to take a step of faithful generosity. Some of us are at the point where we give nothing to the local church, and again, people are in different circumstances, we understand that. I think this is pretty self-explanatory. The reality is, if everyone gave nothing, we wouldn't all be here today. So that's pretty plain to see. Other times, we give something, almost kind of spontaneously. This could be if you hear about a specific need, or we give whatever we happen to have on us that day. And again, everyone, I think, is capable of giving beyond nothing and giving something. And whatever that something is, is a sacrifice. So please hear me, moving from nothing to something is still a big deal. Don't underestimate the importance of every part along this spectrum. I think off the top of my head, I think we've had somewhere around 50 50 families or 50 individuals that have become new givers in 2023. Yay. Yeah. So this is this is a journey we go on. Now beyond something, we can grow towards intentional giving. This is where our journey starts to pick up of giving as a habit, where we make a plan based on a percentage of our income and going from nothing To something, that's a step of faith. Going from something to having an intentional plan is a massive step in faith and in commitment. That represents another sacrificial step. Now, when it comes to percentages, sometimes people ask, I don't get hung up in gross or net percentage. I get hung up on having a plan because that's what makes giving a spiritual habit, a practice, and that represents a big leap of faith. And so that percentage of our intentional giving usually doesn't take place overnight as we grow to the level of tithing. That's a biblical principle of giving 10% of your income back to God. And as I said before, I believe the church has a unique mission, and that's why the tithe goes explicitly to the church. Now, beyond that 10% mark, that's extravagant giving, where we can continue to evaluate our resources and how God has blessed us and how we might bless others through those same blessings at 11% of our income and beyond. Now, notice the words at the bottom of these different levels. A word that's missing up there is sacrificial. That's because, beyond nothing, each of these levels are sacrificial. You could be doing a lot of things with that money. Everybody knows that. And so every act of generosity, you know, how big, no matter how big or small, contributes to the multiplying of our gifts. Our church is in a scenario, we don't have like six families that are the big boppers and run everything around here. Man, our giving is made up of a bunch of people on all across the spectrum. What's yours is from God and is for more than you. And so wherever you're at along the spectrum, I want to encourage you to join me in taking a step of faith so that we can be rich in our response to God's provision. And so over the next three weeks, I'm going to be highlighting these commitment cards. I put mine on the screen earlier. They're in your seat backs, in your, in your chairs. They represent your individual part of a much bigger process. The reason we have talks like this in the fall is our church is preparing for next year. And so this, the, the purpose of this card is twofold. One, it helps the church understand what our capacity is going to be for ministry next year. We certainly don't want to overextend ourselves and put ourselves in a bad scenario, but almost worse would be if we underestimated how much ministry we could do together. And so when, when, when you let the church know what your plan is, it helps the church plan better. But even more than that is this is a commitment you can make to take up the spiritual habit of being generous and to give. And so we'll be turning in these cards as an act of worship in, in two weeks on the 22nd. And so I invite you to take one of these with you or over the next two weeks really consider What that commitment might look like to you. Friends, I believe this is a very special church. And I think Kearney is a very special place. Both our church and the city of Kearney are are growing places. I, I used a service called Mission Insight this last week, and the demographics of our zip code tell a story. And so I looked at our zip code 64060. In 2023, the population of our zip code is 18,699. It's estimated that over the next five years, that's gonna grow 11% to 20,761 people. So over the next five years, we are gonna see an 11% population growth in this zip code. So will we raise our capacity to welcome new people into this community of unlikely friends? Or now that we've made it in, do we just wanna call it good? How, what are we going to do? Because the growth is coming. Between 2017 and 2021, this is the bad news. The good news is our area is growing. The bad news is, you know what else is growing, is the percentage of people not involved in a faith community. And the percentage of people who are less likely to become involved in a faith community, that's also growing. So our population is growing like this, the number of people interested in what we do is going like this. But you know what unites them? The biggest belief about Jesus in this zip code is that people in the church do not behave as Jesus would behave. Population growing, and so is their skepticism. Friends, we got our work cut out for us. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna respond? We can put our money where our faith is. And when I think about the daunting task of population growing, but maybe apathy or maybe even mistrust of the church also growing, I'd like to think of it as, hey, at least we'll never be bored. We always got more good work to do. The mission continues. It goes on. There are people in our church right now. There are people in our zip code right now. There are more coming on the way that need to know the love of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, not just for us but for the people who don't know Christ yet. They need a connection to a community where they can have people to celebrate with, people to mourn with, people to encourage them and challenge them to grow spiritually in their faith. And they need a purpose beyond earning and obsessing over money and all its uncertainty. They need to be given the vision that they have God-given gifts and can go serve the world, that they have a valuable contribution to make as they know Christ grow with others in their faith, and go serve the world. That's what we're all about. And we can join in the ancient call to respond to a God who richly provides when we realize that what's ours isn't just ours. It's from God, and it's not just for us. And everybody said, amen. "Amen." Let's pray. God, we give thanks today for the many blessings we experience from you. As your word says, every good and perfect gift you are the source of. I ask that your spirit would rest on us and that our hearts and minds would be open to your leading. As we consider how to respond to the ways you have blessed us, God, give us the humility and the faith to commit a portion of these blessings back to you. God, it is our desire that our gifts at our church would help more and more people come to know you, grow in faith, and go serve the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.